0: We are in uh, our series on prayer, and if you are back this week and you didn't hear last week, we've got a new feature in our lobby there, it's the prayer board. Uh, We are asking that you guys, if you have things on your heart that you want to be prayed over, praises even, that you want to celebrate with one another, that you take some time to write them down and hang them on that board, And then we desire, as a community of believers, because we're not individuals, this is the church, and we are better together, that we would then take those prayer tags sometime on Sunday, before service or after service, and just pray over them. Or you can come in during the week, spend some moments in quiet somewhere in this church and pray over some of those tags. You can take pictures of them if you want to, and leave and pray over them. Uh, But we want to center ourselves this year on prayer. It's important. It's a conviction of mine, uh, mostly because of my lacking in it, and I feel like it's something that we have to do together as a church. So make note of that. So this morning we are in our second week of prayer, and I think it would be fitting that we go to prayer before we begin. So let's pray. <laughs> oh Lord, we just come before you today and uh, honestly just think that we struggle to see the necessity of this rhythm of prayer, that we find it to be optional in a lot of areas of our lives, but Lord, uh, you have a design for prayer that goes far beyond us. And so, Lord, I pray that your word today, that your truth and my words, Lord, would convey rightness about prayer, that would convey right motivation and right truth in this area, and that, Lord, your spirit would convict our hearts and guide it, that you would bring gladness and desire in our lives around the aspect of prayer. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. So, D.L. Moody, if you've not heard of him before, he's a very famous pastor who founded Moody Bible College in Chicago. Maybe you've heard of it. He tells a story about a young man heading off to the Mexican American War. And in that story, uh, he says that the young man is approached by his mother when he has the thought to enlist in the army, and she pleads for him to become a Christian. She pleads for him to know Christ. And it's to really no avail. The, the, the young son says, you know, I'm not going to do that. And he goes and enlists in the army, and he says to his mother, when I come back from war, I'll settle down, I'll become a Christian then. So her prayers, she felt, were unheard. But when he was going away, the moment that he was about to leave to go to training... Mom stepped in and said, son, I want you to have this. This is the watch your father left for me when he passed away. I want you to take this, and I want you to know when you look at this clock and you see 12 o'clock, know that your mother is here praying for you. I will pray for you every day at 12 o'clock. She hands him the watch. She hands him her Bible. She had marked some things in the Bible, put some loose leaflets in there. And she said, I want you to have this too. And the son takes the Bible. He had no intentions of using it. He just wanted to be kind to his mother. He didn't want to make it awkward for her. And the son goes away. And later, in Mexico, they're on this long march, strenuous march. And the son takes out his watch, opens it, and it's 12 o'clock. And he's reminded that my mom is praying for me in this moment. He's overwhelmed. He's been gone for four months. And he asks his captain, he says, can I be relieved for a few moments? And the young son goes behind a tree in the plains of Mexico, and he cries out to the Lord that he would save him. And of course, the Lord honors that request. And after the war, the son comes back, and he actually re-enlists in the army because he desires to do good for his master's cause. And so I think of this story, and I think that we all wish that we had a story of prayer that was so powerful like this. We hope for a story where all the stars align per se, and everything points to this one predominant truth, that the God of the universe has intersected with my life in an undeniable way, and he has answered the prayer of my heart. We want to be like this mother. And some of you have moments in your life where the Lord has intersected in powerful ways. Some of you, many moments. Other of you have never experienced that type of answered prayer. Yet no matter how God has corresponded to us in our past prayer lives, it seems that our current prayer lives are often connected to a what have you done for me lately type attitude where we sort of diminish our prayer life in long seasons of chaos or in profound seasons of success we forget. And sometimes we don't pray because we presume God to be silent. Even though we know that we should pray consistently, many of us, if not most of us, would all say that we need to pray more in our lives. But I'm not here today, thankfully for you, to try to guilt you into having better habits around prayer. Today, I want us to reason around the fundamental purpose around prayer. Today, we want to ask a simple question. Why should I pray? (laughs) And maybe you're new here and you think, well, That's a dumb question. Like, You shouldn't as a church be trying to figure out why you should pray, that's sacrilegious. I just ask that you stick with me because I really wanna focus on the motivation behind why we head into the posture of prayer so predominantly. I'm gonna use and lean on an article that I read from a man named Steve Abbott. I like Steve's. Steve's need to stick together. I don't know if you read the newspaper the other day and saw my name mentioned in there by my neighbor. Okay, if you didn't, don't read it, okay, it's not, it's all lies, but he gave us three reasons on why we should pray, and we're going to lean on those today, you know, most everybody in here, like if things are desperate in our life, we seek the Lord in prayer, there's this slang term called foxhole praying, and it's exactly what it sounds like, like when you're in a foxhole and there are bullets grazing over your head, you are inclined to pray in that moment, Life inclines us to pray in the moments where we see ourselves as hopeless, where there is no other choice besides divine intervention. And so we go to the Lord and pray. The premise that I want to talk to you today and what I want to convey to you in, according to the scripture, is that is the predominant attitude that should be present in every aspect of our life. An attitude that believes that unless God intervenes in this moment, I can't do anything, that we see ourselves absolutely dependent on the Lord, not just praying to Him in those moments of emergency, but that we would be connected to Him in every moment. What if you believe today that every single thing that you to do as a believer in Jesus was not possible without divine intervention? I am convinced, and I think the scripture compels to us that that is exactly the case. And that is the first reason, the first answer of why we pray. We pray in this, that we are reminded that we always need God. We pray in remembering we always need God. If you look in the Bible, it shows us the heart of prayer. It reveals that the heart of prayer is recognizing that every moment of our life that we are completely dependent on the grace and the authority and the kindness and the goodness of God. I I, want to prove it to you today by looking in the scripture, particularly at the life of Jesus. In Luke's gospel he records more of Jesus praying than any other gospel in our New Testament. And if Jesus is our savior, he's also our model of how to live godly lives on this earth. And we're gonna learn from his example and realize the heart behind prayer. And so when we look at Jesus in the gospel of Luke, we see him praying in total dependency for God. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see him immediately baptized And his father says, this is my son who I'm well pleased. But we also realize in that moment during Jesus' baptism that he prayed just a moment prior to that, before he began. And in Luke 4, his whole ministry, his whole ministry begins with a battle involving him fasting and praying in the literal presence of the devil, of our enemy, of Satan. And in Luke 5, we see this. Jesus is growing in his popularity. People are coming to know him. They like him, but what do we see of Jesus? In Luke 5, verse 18, it says this, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In Luke 6, right before Jesus calls the 12 disciples, what does he do before he chooses them? Well, we find it in Luke 6, Verse 12, he says, In those days he went out to the mountains to pray, and all night he continued to pray to God. Later in that same chapter, he reveals himself, the glory of God to Peter and John and James, and he takes them up to the mountain, and the three pray together. In Luke 18, we see Jesus, or I should say in Luke 9, verse 18, we see Jesus taking his disciples to, to pray and, and bringing them to prayer. This very important moment when Peter recognizes Jesus as the son of God, what does Jesus do before that? What does he say before that? In Luke 9, 18, it says this. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and, they, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? In Luke 18, we find Jesus commending his disciples, to be persistent in their prayers. In Luke 18, verse 1, it says, then Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and never lose heart. And then finally, one of the most well-known examples of Jesus praying is the moment he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the moments before he was arrested and then tried and beaten and tortured and killed. And we read that in Luke 22, verses forty. Through 42, it says this And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them, and about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So here's the question Why is Jesus always praying? If there is a person on this earth that walked this earth that didn't need to pray, it seems that it would be the Son of God. It would seem that Jesus would be the person least likely to pray, but he is the person most likely to pray. Maybe a deeper question is this, is what do we see in the ministry of Jesus and his gospel that he does by himself without prayer? Is there anything that we see in the scriptures that Jesus does on his own apart from prayer? And the answer is no. There is nothing that Jesus does on his own without prayer. He is dependent on the Father in everything. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says that the Son of Man cannot do anything by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. And in that same chapter, he says, by myself, I can do nothing And so that begs the question, if Jesus is God in flesh, the very God of the universe in flesh, why would he say I can do nothing by myself? And if he does believe that he can do nothing by himself only through prayer in relationship with God, it begs this question, how on earth do I think or you think that we can do anything in this life on our own? There is absolutely nothing that we can do apart from God. And so this is why the disciples begged Jesus to teach them how to pray. They see Jesus praying. They say, teacher, teach us how to pray. The disciples, they would have known how to pray. They would have prayed in the synagogues. They would have prayed over ritual. They would have prayed over all sorts of circumstances. But they saw Jesus praying, and it was something different than what they had ever experienced. They saw his life and his prayers to not center around just ritual and tradition, but his prayers were literal nourishment for his life. They were necessity. He was dependent on them. And the disciples saw it and said, Lord, teach us to pray like that. And we remember last week that the early church was dependent on prayer. It wasn't Jesus strictly who emphasized prayer. It was the early church that followed his example. When the apostles are being persecuted by the religious leaders of the day, the Sanhedrin, they don't gather in a room and begin to complain about their mistreatment. What do they do? They pray. They go in a meeting and they pray. And then at the end of that chapter, you know what happens? It says the room shakes. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're bold in proclaiming the gospel. When's the last time we've ever been at a prayer meeting where something in that realm would ever have happened? When Peter was imprisoned, what was the church's response? In Acts 12, what did they do? They prayed. When the church in Antioch wanted to take the gospels to the ends of the earth to all nations, what did they do? Did they study the demographics of the community and see if it was a good idea and send out mailers? No, they prayed, they prayed. When they needed new leaders in the church, what did they do? Barnabas and Paul picked leaders and they put them before the Lord and they prayed over them. They sent them in the presence of the one they would trust and said, Lord, be with them. Do you sense the pattern here? It is the fundamental conviction of the church and of Jesus that we could do nothing without God. Nothing. And so they prayed. And this is why we pray. Because we are, whether we believe it or not, dependent on him. Dependent on him and can do nothing apart from him. The early church knew that. And what concerns me today and myself at times and in this world is that prayer essentially has become optional for many of us and many of our churches but in the book of acts they didn't pray before meetings or after meetings the entire meeting was devoted to prayer and so it begs this question like is prayer essential for us or is it optional Do we pray in remembering that we need God? The second answer to why we pray, or the second reason why we pray, is we pray to seek to know God better. We pray to seek to know God better. Jesus responds to the disciples' request to teach them how to pray by by saying this very first line, Father, Jesus is talking about relationship. If we forget that the primary purpose of prayer is about relationship, we will start just praying only in moments of emergency. Most of us grew up in this life believing that prayer was the vehicle in which we ask things from God. I go, Lord, I need this. I need your help here. Lord, will you send this my way? Lord, if you could make this happen... Right? And then we pray for others in the same way, Lord, will you bless them? Will you protect them. Will you give them this, Lord? Will you pour out them on them this one thing? But if we're honest this morning, this is probably one of the reasons why we don't pray a lot. It's probably one of the reasons why we don't because if we see prayer about what we getting what we want and it doesn't happen, then why would we continue praying? And I think for many of us, what is also true is that there are incredibly hard situations in your life that you've prayed over. You've prayed hard over a relationship, over brokenness. You've prayed hard over um, a, a baby. You've prayed hard for somebody to be healed. And those things didn't happen. And you're left wondering, what is going on? Maybe I'm asking in the wrong way. And we start thinking, maybe there's a code that I need to respond to the Lord. Maybe I'll look up the names of God. And maybe if I pray to Jehovah Jireh, this certain name of God, then God will, he'll hear my prayer. And so the lack of God giving us what we want often produces in us a lack of prayer. But what if prayer And the purpose of prayer is not us getting the things that we want. What if the purpose of prayer is actually just knowing God? What if it's not about us getting the things we want, not getting the answers to our questions, but actually about knowing the God of the universe? It's not that asking for those things is is wrong. It's not that asking for those things isn't a part of our prayer. It's not that we don't ask God to bless us and keep us, but what if our prayers have a more fundamental depth to them? That we remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount who says this. He says, why do you pray? When you pray, do not babble like the pagans. Pagans were unbelievers. For they think they will be heard because their words are many. Don't be like them. And then listen to what Jesus says. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. God knows what you need before you ask him. And for many of us, we throw our hands up and go, what? Then why even pray? Like if God knows what I need before I even ask him, what is, what is the point of praying in the first place? If you already knowing my heart. Well, what if God doesn't tell us to bring all of our needs So that he can be informed about everything that we need. What if he already knows everything that we need? And that maybe, just maybe, the purpose of our prayer is intimacy. Maybe he's just designed prayer in a way that it supersedes us getting what we want And It is more about us getting to know him. What if when he says in the Gospel of Matthew to go in your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen, what if that idea is based upon us growing in our closeness to God? What if this thing called prayer isn't about us getting all the things that we want? One person said that we're not desperate for something, we're desperate for someone. That is the heart behind our prayer. What if God has designed the whole thing called prayer for you ultimately to enjoy him and to enjoy being with him, to experience his goodness and his grace and his mercy on a personal level. There is nothing else in all of Christianity that can ever begin to complete with, compete with prayer in completing that process in us. What if the priority of prayer is time, not talk? What if the priority of prayer is time, not talk? I, I want to remind you this morning that the most important thing in your life is not your current job, it's not your fantasy football team, it's not your wife, it's not your husband, it's not your boyfriend, it's not your car, it's not your kids the most important thing in your life is an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. Everything flows from your relationship with him. Everything is impacted by your closeness with him. The reason that Jesus is constantly going alone to spend time with his father is because there is an intimacy that happens when he is alone with the father an intimacy that would affect every single thing that he did. Jesus teaches us that in order to develop that kind of closeness, we have to set aside time to be with our Lord and our Savior, consecrated, intentional time to be with him. And I know that many of you might say, well, the Bible teaches us to pray in every circumstance. And so that's what I do. I pray throughout the day. I I pray when I drive. I pray when I'm cooking. I pray when I'm eating. I I pray in every situation. I, I get that. That is a very good thing. And we might say, well, I pray all the time. Why do I need to set aside consecrated time, specific time, just to spend with the Lord? Well, I would say that that sounds really good, but have you, ever, have you ever tried that in your marriage? Have you ever just tried to talk to your wife in moments that you're just running around doing things, or your husband in moments that you're cooking and you're cleaning, you're caring for your kids, you're bathing him in amoxicillin? Have you just tried to talk to him in the midst of those things? How does that work for you? Doesn't work well. You become roommates really quickly. And if your wife, like my wife who's wonderful, she reminds you, I need, I need time with you. I need, I need time just to connect. I need time to be with you. We wouldn't do that in our marriage. We shouldn't do that in our relationship with Jesus. We must set aside intentional, consecrated time to be with our Lord. I truly believe that if there is something that happens in the time that we design in our own unique experiences and, and time with the Lord that brings us closeness with him. And So my desire for you today is not to guilt you into better prayer habits. It's to not condemn you for not having prayer habits. I just want to convey the question to you that's been conveyed to me. is Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't we want to spend time with the most significant relationship in our lives? And I'm convinced that if we practice this posture of prayer, intentional time with the Lord, it would revolutionize our life It would make all the big things in our life seem much smaller. What if the singular goal of your life this year in 2022 was to pray about prayer? (laughs) Was to spend time praying that the Lord would help you, give you a desire to pray in all circumstances, but to seek him specifically. That you would know the reward of prayer. And that reward is simply this. It's that we actually know God. That is our reward. We just don't know about him. We pray and we know God. We pray to seek to know God. And then the last thing, and the last answer of why we pray is this. We pray to surrender to God's plan. I think it's easy in the realm of prayer to say a lot of, well, I have to or I need to, right? We we all know I have to do this, I need to do this. But there is an element which we get to say I get to. I get to in the aspect of prayer. That is to say that God has designed prayer as a means by you and I for you and I to be involved with what he is doing in the world. The power of prayer is in relationship. The power of prayer is in relationship. All of our lives we've heard phrases like prayer changes things. Prayer changes things, and we believe that prayer changes things. But I'm going to say something pretty strong here. Prayer by itself is powerless. Now, let me explain that. Prayer by itself is powerless. The goal of prayer and the goal of this message isn't to get you into a more rigid, structured, and organized time of prayer or to be seen or known as a person of prayer. If that is our ambition, we are ultimately no different than the self-righteous or any person in any other religion. No, the goal of prayer is that we would connect to the living God of the universe. And prayer is powerless if we do not connect with him because God holds all of the power in our relationship. When we pray, we connect to our most vital relationship. And in that, we have incredible power. But we access that power only through the means of surrender only through the means of surrender. By surrender, I mean that we have an attitude that reflects Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prays, Father, not your will be done, or not my will be done, but your will be done. That our surrender grows out of our absolute trust for him. That we grow in understanding that God wants what's best for us. That we grow to the point that surrendering to his will is all the priority of our life. That is where life gets exciting. That's where life gets exciting. And that's where God begins to use us in ways that we never thought. I want to leave you with an illustration that I read in Tim Keller's book uh, called Prayer. He shares a story about his life and his Inability to find rhythms in his prayer. And I'll just read it for you. He says this In the second half of my adult life, I discovered prayer. I had to. In the fall of 1999, I taught a Bible study course on Psalms. And it became clear to me that I was barely scratching the surface of what the Bible commanded and promised regarding prayer. Then came the dark weeks in New York during 9 11. He's a pastor in New York. When our whole city sank into a kind of corporate clinical depression even as it tried to rally. And for my family, the shadow was intensified by my wife, Kathy, struggling with the effects of Crohn's disease. And then finally, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. At one point during all of this, my wife urged me to do something with her we had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every night. Every night, And she used this illustration to crystallize her feelings very well. And he says, we remember her saying it something like this. This is his wife. Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. And you would never miss it. And then she says, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of all that we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't Let it slip our minds. I believe that is true of all of us. I believe that is true of our church. If we don't pray together, we will not make it through the things that are facing us. We cannot let it slip our minds. We cannot see it as optional. It is the medicine to a soul that has a lethal condition that finds its only cure In a relationship with the God of the universe. And so, why do we pray? We pray because we need to remember that we need God. We pray because it brings us closeness with Him. We pray because it brings us knowledge of His plan. And those are good and right truths for us to remember. Let's pray. Lord, if there is movement here, if there's movement in our hearts with prayer, it will always have to start with you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would surrender before you, Lord, that we would realize that it's not an option, that our lives depend in some ways on our prayer life, our relationships with you are dependent on our prayer life with you. And that, God, you are waiting to meet us in those prayers to change our life, to affect our beliefs, to change our attitudes and the desires of our hearts. And so, Lord, will you continue to bring light and truth to this area for the good of our lives? We love you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name, amen.